there are many ways to pray and I think a lot of them are very good and they're good to employ in different seasons and mix it up. I just wanted to share one method and it goes along with how Jesus taught us to pray. It's popularly known as the Our Father, but I take a much slower approach, much more meditative approach on it and just take it a verse at a time because I know like if you say it in church, it becomes so rote that you don't really think about the words that are being said. And to me, if if Jesus is asked by his disciples, Lord, teach us to pray, then I think the words that Jesus himself shares, in other words, how do, Jesus, how do I talk to the Father? How do I communicate with the Father well? That's where I, I think these words that Jesus shared with us are very impactful. And depending on the version you use or the passages in Luke or Matthew, or I don't I don't know that matters a whole lot. I think the one in Luke is is longer, more comprehensive. The one in Mark might be a little bit shorter. I don't remember exactly. So what I start off with is simply our Father who art in heaven, or who is in heaven, whatever your version. And I try to think of other passages that kind of play into those words, you know, each of these segments of this prayer. And as I think of our Father who art in heaven, the fact that we can call God, the fact that we can call God our Father. I think it's in 1 John chapter 3 that says, How great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we are called children of God. So there's something so deep and so blessed in the fact that we can call God our Father, because along with that comes the idea that He is our provider, He's our protector, He's the, our confidant, like we, we can share everything with Him like a good earthly father does. Many of you out there have have had fathers that you could you could just connect with, you could share your deepest struggles with and, and connect on that level. And we have that infinitely more with our Heavenly Father. That He knows our thoughts and we can share everything with Him. Others of you have struggled or maybe even hated your fathers. And just be assured that if our Heavenly Father calls us children, it's, it's the most perfect image of what a father can be. That's what you can have with the Father, the Heavenly Father. So let's see, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So hallowed is a little bit of a different word. From what I've understood in studying it a little bit, um, it's, it's really like blessed be your name or hallowed be the name, sacred be your name, that sort of thing. I try to think of with this one is how well-rounded the, the Father is. That not only is he powerful and just, but he's also amazingly loving, he's gracious, he's compassionate, he's righteous, you know, all the things that God is. And I think if you boil down Christianity, if you boil down what faith is, it really is a trust in the good character of God. And so when we, when Jesus encouraged us to pray, hallowed be thy name, we're really almost asking God, let people know how good you are. I really think that's what that passage, or that that portion of the prayer is talking about. So for those 
Father, that, that think you are cruel, show them your love and compassion. Lord, for those that think that you are distant and uncaring, Lord, show them how close you can be and how much you want to be involved in their lives. You know, we, we are pleading with the Father to make his name known, to make his true identity and character known to others. So I think that's what we're asking when Jesus tells us to ask, hallowed be thy name. May others know how great you are. May your kingdom come, may your will be done. I struggle with these a little bit in terms of what does it look like for God's kingdom to come? Is it really kind of the fleshing out of, as he admonishes us to love one another? Is it really just a a bringing to fruition that everybody on this earth, at some point, will have the natural tendency, equipped and powered by the Holy Spirit, to love one another, to sacrifice themselves for one another, to give up their time, give up their money. There won't be any poor, there won't be any extremely rich. Everybody will be cared for. Maybe that's what we pray when when we ask for his kingdom to come. I think there's a ton of study that can be done on what is his kingdom and what does it look like. There's several passages in the Gospels that talk about that his kingdom is in our midst. The fact that Jesus would be on the throne on this earth. If the king has come, then the kingdom has come. So I, I'm not really sure what to pray, how to think of that part of it, but it's it's good to ponder. And your will be done. The passage, my go-to passage for this one is really when, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's faced with the suffering of the crucifixion. He knows it's coming. And he goes three times and asks the Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But nonetheless, not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus was so giving of his entire life for the Father's will. Even when faced with his own excruciating death, he was still willing to do the Father's will. And so that's one of the things that I focus on when I'm praying. Like, today, I don't know what I'm going to encounter, but may your will be done, not mine. May you give me the sort of heart that I desire to do your will no matter what the circumstances. So that's where I'm asking for him to change my heart to want to do his will. Give us this day our daily bread, or our needful things, as another translation might say it. So I, I think of this one, I, I take this one as an opportunity to thank him for what he has already given. Really, the basic needs of life are our bread, our food, right? Our water, something to drink because we need water. We can't even go three days without having sufficient water. The clothing that we have on our backs, and especially important in the winter times up here in North Dakota is, is the shelter. We have somewhere to be warm somewhere to be protected from the elements, and and God has provided all of these things lavishly, especially if you're in the American culture. Compared to third world countries, I mean, we are all rich in this country. And it's uh, to take, we need to take the time to be thankful for what he has given us. I, I use this passage, this part of the prayer as the cue to thank him for the things that we do have before I ask him for the things that we need.
I don't want to be an ungrateful person who just keeps saying, gimme, gimme, gimme. I want to have contentment and gratitude for what I have already gotten. And maybe think, even if I don't get any more, what you've given me is enough. You know, just along those lines of just cultivating gratitude, cultivating thankfulness. And then I do ask, you know, if there's some pressing needs. Right now we're in the need of another vehicle. So, Lord, provide the opportunity or provide the vehicle that, that is within budget that is low miles the the practical needful things of life and I also ask for the Holy Spirit in addition to the practical physical needs we also need his Holy Spirit to interpret the word to change our hearts to guide us into the spiritual walk to keep us close to the Lord so in addition to asking for our daily bread or like I said says needful things in another uh, translation I think the Holy Spirit is definitely a needful thing and we need to recognize that we sometimes squelch the Holy Spirit we sometimes hinder the Holy Spirit and I'm really asking for the freedom of the Holy Spirit in me that my heart not hold him back give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses this is one of my favorite things to reflect on, and the passage that is key for me is 1 John 1, 8 or 9. That, I can't remember which one it is. But it basically says that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So we think about all of our all the wrong things we've done, the way we've harmed other people, the way we've maybe ignored God in the past, he is righteous and just to forgive those things. Even the most heinous acts of evil, those have been paid for by the cross. The certificate of debt, the, the, our rap sheet, has been nailed to the cross. But that's half the prayer. I'm thankful for that, but I'm more thankful for the next part that says, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So not only does he forgive, but he also makes our hearts different. He cleanses us from any future unrighteousness. And this is something I pray and ask all the time. Lord, I know my heart is prone to slip in this area. It, this is a, a bad habit, an evil habit that I can't seem to shake. My passions seem to keep driving me in a certain direction. Lord, you're faithful and just to forgive us forgive my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. There's several of the benedictions that are at the end of a lot of the, some of the epistles that talk about, and now unto him who is able to keep us from stumbling. That's something that, you know, as I ask for forgiveness, I also ask for cleansing. I don't want my heart to do this anymore. I want to glorify you. I want my heart to be in tune with your will. So that it's one of my favorite things to pray in the way that Jesus taught us to pray is that that particular fashion it's been so so freeing to then also trust that he will change those things that I'm asking for change in my heart I don't know when it's not always right away uh, maybe it's rarely right away but I do see incremental changes the more I ask it the more I see those are are taking place just not in the 
drastic or immediate fashion that I would desire. As we forgive those who trespass against us. So these go hand in hand, right? I mean, as, as I recognize that I need a divine act of power through the Holy Spirit to change my heart, so do other people. Other people are just as locked in to their sinful propensities as I am. And they're struggling just as much. And many of them don't have Jesus to ask for that change. They think it's all up to them. And they're caught in this vicious cycle of, I did it again, I did it again. And so as we recognize we are just as helpless as they are, then we really have nothing to hold over them. And if our life has improved, we don't have ourselves and our own strong will to thank for that. We have the Holy Spirit to thank for that. It's a gift, not something that I was able to do. And so I think that helps me to forgive others and recognizing, man, they're, they're just as stuck as I am. And it gives me compassion to pray and to ask that the Holy Spirit intercede for them as well, that the Holy Spirit step into their lives and transform them as he's been transforming me. And it's very, very much a different way of, of looking at forgiveness. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This one perplexes me a little bit as well. Temptation, I think it's proskeneo, which is basically like trials or temptations. Testings, I think, is another another word that could be used. We're asking that we're not led into situations or circumstances that may cause us to stumble. The confusing part for me is in James chapter 1, that same word is used in the passage that says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials and tribulations. The same word proskeneo is used there as well. So in one sense, Jesus is teaching us that we should ask that we don't have those trials and testings. But at the same time, James teaches us that, but if they do happen, count it all joy, because really it creates perseverance. So let it have its perfect work. So it does grow us, it does change us. So I'm not sure how the interplay works there, that we should, we should ask that it doesn't come, but it's good when it does come. I'm stuck because we should typically ask for good things, and it seems that trials are good, but we're to ask to avoid them. Still wrestling through that, I think I'm missing some of the data that makes that picture make sense. But we are to seek a tranquil and quiet life to live, and, and obviously we don't want constant chaos, we don't want constant tribulations, so we do want peace so that we can focus on loving others, and we're not in constant triage mode. And deliver us from evil, I think for me that is prayer to deliver me from Satan's schemes to disrupt relationships. As it says, and I think Peter, that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan hates us. Satan looks to take us down. He looks for every opportunity. And if it weren't for God protecting us and holding him back, uh, we would be done for. And so that prayer of deliver us from evil, really, I think, is deliver us from the clutches of Satan. Deliver us from, from everything that Satan can do to us. We have an example of Job where God removed that protection 
and there was immense suffering. We don't want that. So that's where we're asking to be delivered from that. And the last part is used by Protestants, but not used by Catholics and, and, and others. And, you know, it, it's apparently it wasn't in the original text. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I think that's up for debate. But I, I think it's still helpful to think it through. And yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And the more I was meditating on this, it's, it's interesting what thinking through those reveals. So I, if I think of God, your this is your kingdom. In other words, you own it. It's your possession. And you created it all. So you can look at the marvel of the stars and the, and the universe and and how big it is and look at the earth and the complexity of the microorganisms and, and the consistency and the beauty of the human body and all of its cells and the brain working, all that, that he created all that. It's like, it's his, we are his possession. All of this is his possession. If we think of everything on this earth as not ours, but his, it puts things into a better perspective. So yours is the kingdom and the power, God has the power to keep his kingdom. He has the power to defend his kingdom. He has the power to expand his kingdom. And the last one is, here's is the kingdom and the power and the glory. So not only does he own it and possess it, not only does he have the power to rule over it and keep it and defend it, but he also has the character to be a, a great ruler over it. He is compassionate, he is benevolent, he is caring and gracious and just and righteous and holy. All of that stuff makes him a great ruler, the ideal ruler to rule over this kingdom. So I really like thinking through how Jesus taught us to pray. I think it's very comprehensive, I think it's very deep. I, I don't even think I've started scratching the surface of, of the meaning of all the things he taught us to pray. I don't pray it every single morning. I think there's seasons, you know, let's say a couple months where I, I will pray it every morning, but sometimes it feels like it's, it just becomes rote, so I take a break from it for a while and pray in a different way. But it's a good exercise, and I hope you might try it.